It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a public affair. It's Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. That means you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. And I want to remind you, you are listening to A Public Affair on volunteer-powered, listener-sponsored community radio, WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. Let's get the conversation started. We have been wanting to talk with uh, our two guests today for for a while, and uh, logistics and Uh, We were interviewing candidates, all this other ridiculous political stuff. Let's get to the important things that are happening every day here in Madison and uh, impacting us beyond Madison. We are talking today with the leaders of the Friends of the State Street family. I feel like I always want to say Friends of State Street. Now, I bet our guests will tell us they get that they, they get that all the time. Friends of State Street is the business organizations and people that support the businesses. Friends of the State Street family support the individuals, the homeless individuals that are occupying State Street and beyond. And here to tell us more about the work that Friends of State Street family does, we have Beth, and I'm going to get her last name right, Beth Malio. I think I got that right. Uh, she is the vice president and outreach, outreach director of Friends of State Street family. Hello, Beth. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for joining us. And then we have Jeff Turk. He is the president of Friends of the State Street family. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Great to be here. Thank it, you. It's wonderful to have both of you. So I wanted to sort of start and talk with a little bit about um I, w- I wanted to start with some numbers first. Every year, there's sort of a point in time count where uh, organizations get together and try and determine the number of homeless individuals living in Madison and Dane County. And it's obviously just a reflection of one night of, of the year. Um, but the most recent uh, single night point in time count from January 2022, just a few months ago, identified 701 people experiencing homeless uh, on that very night. And 30% of those people were in households with children, which means 70% of those uh, people were in households without children, um, either as couples or individuals. So I want to sort of start with that, that that frame of acknowledging that and that number has gone up and down a little bit, but it's been constant. There have there has always been a homeless population in Madison and Dane County. Talk to us about what Friends of uh, State Street Family does and and why it was created. Well, I'm going to yeah. let Beth take this because okay. she I, I'm a, I'm going to acknowledge that she is the one that does all the work. that's what the women in the organization always do right okay exactly hi um so friends of the state street family actually started in uh 2011 before i was a part of it and it was founded by um my friend and mentor tammy fleming Mm -hmm. uh and uh she basically noticed uh, a gap and felt compelled to start to um, connect with people experiencing homelessness after um, volunteering actually in an emergency room in a hospital. And um, we actually often refer to ourselves if it's easier just as friends um, where they, mm. you know, um, I, and so friends has evolved, uh, okay. you know, when it started with um, a weekly meal um, that was right on state street, no longer exists. Um, we would love Unfortunately, it does not. Um, and at that point, uh, they served between like 100 and 200, depending on the time of year um, down, down there. Uh, and uh, when I joined, uh, we were not a 501c3, which we are now. Uh, 
and we were sort of just some crazy people, sometimes I felt, uh, walking around self-funding a lot of our outreach and pulling wagons um, and just trying to make connections. And so we've grown a lot um, in that time and have had to pivot um, a lot uh, as well, just as, I mean, the the pandemic has sort of changed the nature of a lot of things in homeless services yeah. in Madison uh, in, in good and bad ways, you know, um, and so we've been just sort of trying to figure out how we can kind of be this umbrella to um, connect with people experiencing homelessness, make sure that their basic needs are met, that they're treated with dignity, and that they get hopefully connected to resources that, you know, are available to them. It, it seems so much of this organization, there are a lot of uh, organizations in uh, Madison and Dane County that have the laudable goal of trying to address homelessness, get them into housing, solve solve mental health issues, AODA, all of those things. And uh, Friends really, you know, builds on that, but, but has this added element of dignity and respect for the people living on the streets at this moment and meeting them where they are and serving their immediate needs, but wasn't necessarily a priority. In fact, I think sometimes you think, oh, don't focus on giving them a dollar right now. That That's not a good use of your money. You want to focus more on the long-term solutions, but it really disrespects the fact that this is an individual right now with a need right now. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I mean, it's a human, you're dealing with a human being mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you, so what I love about this organization is we can make the connection and have a, we can build these deep relationships with these human beings that are in these, you know, really unfortunate and, and frankly, uh, uh, awful situations. And, you know, it, it's about um, adding the human element. I mean, I yeah. think a lot of times, you know, unfortunately with the process, the way it is, it's it's very overwhelming and it can almost dehumanize um, these folks, whereas we go in and we make a, you know, concerted effort to make that connection and understand and empathize and, you know, try to try to address that immediate need, like you say, um, but with with a lot of not not just throw like a sandwich at them, like have a conversation with them when we're giving them the sandwich, when they're eating the sandwich. Um, or, or maybe there's an article of clothing they need specifically, and we work to get that. So it's really about treating them like we'd treat anybody else that's out there in the business world or our friends or our family. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that I, I think that's what um, can separate us. I mean, there's a lot of great organizations out there that yeah. are doing that sort of stuff, too. But we really focus on that. We focus on that one to one relational you know, type of uh, interaction. Why do you think that people have this apprehension towards homeless individuals? And and I'll tell a a quick story. I moved here now. It's more than 20 years. I'm absolutely a Madisonian. But before I was a Madisonian, I lived in New York City. And when I lived in New York, there was um, lots of homeless individuals. And there was a woman in particular that lived on my street and I would talk with her, and every time I would sort of get a bagel, I would try and get her a bagel. And every time I would get tampons, I would think, well, I wonder if she needs any. And and I would sort of, this would be someone that was part of my thinking as I was, you know, shopping as a, as a, as a new 20-something in, in my career. And there... My my thoughts, perhaps because I had spent a lot of, uh, much of my life in New York City, was not I didn't have any apprehension um, of homeless individuals. I, I didn't think of them any differently. I I guess maybe naivete some would say, but but I was sort of taken aback because I'm not from the Midwest, because I'm not from here. When I came here at people's response, when we would be walking down State Street, and I would you know, at least look an individual in the eye and, and say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you today. And my friends would be like, oh, what are you doing? Uh, and I I was taken aback because I wasn't used to that. What do you think is sort of the response and why people have a hesitation to connect so, with homeless individuals? I'll just, I'll tell my story quick. Uh, yeah. I don't want to monopolize the conversation. Well, I already I, did. Please tell your story. We want to hear from you a lot more than me. So I'm a life, I'm a lifelong Madisonian and actually, um, you know, practically grew up on State Street. I mean, I went to UW. I mean, my whole life. And, and ultimately, 
I ran a business on State Street. And um, so I always viewed the homeless as a nuisance. Um, I feared mm-hmm. the homeless. Um, I, I viewed them as, uh, you know, they were kind of scary because they were unpredictable. Um, sometimes acting, you know, the way they act out, not understanding that. And, um, and it was dehuman. I dehumanized them. I, I, I looked at them as other than human. And so that's one of the reasons I joined this organization. I got away from State Street. I've been in a different career path for the past 18 years. But as I reflected, I was like, yeah, you know, I'd like to go back and revisit that. And then when I got involved with this organization and you and you really do, you sit down and have a conversation with somebody, you realize, geez, I mean, this could be me if I wasn't careful. I mean, it's you know, we say that a lot and, and people, I think, dismiss it. You know, you are closer to homelessness than you realize. I think anybody, you know, it, it, whether it's an addiction, a mental illness and, or any sort of unfortunate circumstance. So, uh, you know, I guess from my perspective, getting back to what you're saying, I, I, I don't know if there was something when I was brought up, you know, maybe it was that maybe it is a Midwest thing. I don't know. But as I walked down the street, it was this, a very similar um, scenario where, you know, you, you would do everything you could to avoid them, avoid eye contact, you know, not help. Um, and now I find myself, even when I, I went to Canada uh, a couple of weeks ago and there were homeless people there and I went out of my way to at least engage with them and say, hey, you know, what's your story? Or what can I do for you right now? So mm-hmm. and it's much it's a very rewarding um, aspect of my life. And I'm sure and Beth can certainly speak to that. So, yeah, um, you know, I think it is a kind of that human like nature sometimes to otherize and and that thought it could never be me i would never make choices like that and i think um it's easy for sometimes us to want to push that off but to realize you know that um we all have some real basic needs and you know i teach psychology um and so um i kind of come back always just to that maslow connection and um you know when we don't have our basic needs met that's when some of those abrasive behaviors might show up or, you know, stigmatizing behaviors. And, um, you know, and, and so this, this is what's so cool about friends, I think is that, you know, we, we give away stuff, right? Like, and so we might bring out food or, um, you know, we, we definitely provide survival gear and things like that. And that's just stuff, you know, um, is often what, what I say is it, that's, that's the start of that conversation. And I think when we take time to learn people's stories, it just becomes so, um, like, like so evident that, that really we all need that basic human connection, you know? And so to start a conversation yeah. with, hey, you want a bottle of water? that's just a start. It is not then a move on, but, you know, sitting down and having those conversations and learning about people and um, their resiliency. I mean, realizing, you know, that if you were to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and that, that piece of empathy that we definitely, definitely drives us um, to realize that you probably would be behaving the same way. Um, And uh, I guess it's, it's, I, I guess I would just always encourage people, you know, just to take a little bit of time and and to think like just a smile, it goes a long way. You know, you don't have to have, uh, you know, a um, long conversation, you know, just, hey, no, you know, how are you today? Good, good. You know, moving on. Because um, I think that that's something that we all need. Right. That someone's not looking through you, that you're invisible. Right. Yes, right. exactly. Right. Um, Tell us about, can you tell us a little bit more about the resources that Friends provided, provides to homeless individuals? Yeah, so um, we uh, do basic survival gear, first and foremost. And so um, we have a couple big budget items. Uh, so we do a big um, boot distribution in the winter. And I think last year we distributed over 260 pair of winter boots. Wow. Um, and connecting with uh, area agencies. And so going into the shelters and things like that to make sure, um, you know, that that we were getting them to the people who really needed them. Uh, sleeping bags, I would, and we have, we also distribute a special backpack that's designed for people experiencing homelessness. Um, I didn't know that existed. Okay. 
Yeah, it's called the City Pack. It's through a project um, that comes out of Chicago. And the backpack is sort of extra large. Um, it has a couple special features for, um, you know, uh, people in terms of like a waterproof sleeve for documents. It has a strap so that you could hook it to yourself while you're sleeping. Um, it has some, you know, extra pockets and things like that. There um, is a poncho that actually is in the bottom of it that can cover everything. And so we distribute about 400 sleeping bags and city packs a year. Um, that's fluctuated a little bit while people are um, in some of the, the services that the pandemic provided. So for example, um, there are still people in uh, county funded hotels. And so we haven't done as many sleeping bags, but we have them. Um, we also notice uh, that giving people the dignity to be a paying customer is a really important piece of being able to access resources. And hmm. so, um, you know, when we get gift cards donated, it's so appreciated, you know, $5 at um, McDonald's or Taco Bell gives them the opportunity to be a paying customer to go and sit and relax for a little bit, you know, to access bathroom resources and things like that. And so we really appreciate gift card donations. Um, we often have bus passes. Uh, we had a great uh, mobility campaign that was uh, organized by um, uh, an individual who contacted us, you know, wanting to um, help us out. And um, so being able to give somebody, you know, access to transportation to get to their appointments, to start a job. Uh, we also sometimes have uh, gas cards. Um, and so able to... Uh, you know, help out people who are living in their cars um, or who are, you know, maybe staying in shelter but need transportation. Um, and then we just have like all kinds of little incidentals. Um, definitely we distribute snacks and toiletries and things like that. It's changed uh, yeah. quite a bit. I mean, yeah. uh, since the pandemic, you know, when we went down, we used to go down State Street and we distribute a lot of those things. And what's happened is since the pandemic and, and really the population was scattered, we had the uh, we had a little bit we had some unrest downtown um, mm -hmm. and then folks were put up in hotels because of COVID. Um, and so we found that the need changed. Um, all of a sudden, those resources that were available downtown, you know, people were struggling getting back and forth to the resources that they needed. And so that's where the bus passes really was a godsend when uh, Elena uh, was her name and Metcalf's helped out too, um, did that campaign for us and we were able to provide that. Um, and, but we, what our, you know, we really expanded our mission. I mean, we used to be strictly, you know, in the Isthmus area now. I mean, I'm finding folks on the west side. Uh, Beth's over on the west side. Um, we're, we're, we do a lot of work on the east side. They're, you know, the homeless. What I tell people is, there's homeless people everywhere. Right. Uh, you know, there, there, you know, there, there, there are a lot of people, unfortunately, that live in their cars. There's a lot of families that live in their cars, and so that's where um, our distribution of those gas cards, um, those things that help them, you know, in that. Um, you know, whereas before, I think on State Street, they were either living on the street or going to the shelter at night. Now we're seeing a whole different dynamic with, you know, people at the encampments, uh, people in tents that are in park areas that are hidden. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really since 2020, I guess it was, it feels like it was a million years ago, right? Um, it's yeah. really changed a lot and, and we've really expanded. That's what I was going to ask, right, the name of... Uh friends of state street family did you start focusing only on state street and go beyond or were you never just about state street that was just uh that's just a gathering place for individuals that are homeless because there's so much community there um well i think actually that was really the place where we could find and access the most people and they knew where to find us okay. when uh, makes sense we were doing outreach um and so you know we kind of collectively like, it, uh, you know, walking down with a wagon, it would be like, oh, there's the wagon, there's friends, they're trusted, um, you know, and, uh, you know, in a summer, we would be serving maybe 75 people downtown. And part of that was because um, the shelters were downtown. And so the men's shelter was actually located throughout three church basements pre-pandemic, and people were limited to 90 days in the year to be able to stay there. Right. Right. And so we found like in the summer, people were sleeping on the streets. And so that was a place to make sure, do you have a blanket? Do you have, you know, um, 
food and things like that. And so that was our primary focus. Now, um, there are a handful of people who do, you know, especially in the summer, sleep downtown. But we know that there are people all over Madison. And so having to pivot that way, the men's shelter is not downtown anymore. Um, and so that means that people aren't hanging out as much or they might come down during the day and then they have to go um, east when they're going to check into the shelter. Um, Where are you finding individuals R- really throughout the city and beyond? Yeah, um, I'm always reluctant to like list off just sure. a specific location. Um, just not because, um, just, you know, like people want to go and help. And I know, and, and when, um, there were some of these larger encampments, like last summer, um, lots of stuff was being kind of just dropped off and, and not strategically, you know, spread out maybe to some of the people who needed them, but there, there are a couple places. One is that Madison has done some really, um, big, like kind of trying out some things. And so there is, um, a small pallet home encampment that we serve. Um, definitely uh, driving around Madison and looking for places that it might be safe to park and to sleep. Um, and so often we find people in some parking lots and parking rides, things like that. Um, there are a couple spots where we know there to be um, bigger encampments. Um, you know, one is really not at a very nice, it's in a swamp right um and and um they don't have access to some of the city services that we've tried to um get them connected to and so one thing that we do um which we started last summer is that uh we created something we call the humanity station it's kind of a amped up uh little free pantry uh we set up a cabinet in the encampment and bring in fresh water uh food uh toiletries um, things like that, you know, general harm reduction kind of things, and then try to get back there and check and make sure people have sleeping bags and blankets and things like that. Um, sometimes tents, but we don't, we're not a large distributor of that. Okay. Uh, so like, that's, that's a big one is kind of our Saturday outreach is that we start and we um, meet and we serve at an encampment, we do a brunch to those people. And then we kind of take the food that sometimes we get donated from the community and sometimes we make ourselves and we divide up and we drive around the city to places looking for and folks. Do you we should, uh, I yeah, should, go I'm ahead, sorry, Jeff. I should, uh, I want to give a shout out to our board because we've got yeah. a fantastic board, uh, in particular Jasper and uh, Brad, who do a lot of the outreach also. Uh, Brad actually uh, created the Humanity Station, so give him a shout out for that. Yeah. Uh, also, Jerry, Jeanette, and Iris. Um, we've just got a fantastic board that, uh, and really this formed, um, we we all came together at around the time of the pandemic and really pivoted well. Um, and I think we've we've done a, a really good job of serving. Um, so it's I'm really proud of that. Do you feel like you see the same number of people, uh, or I'm sorry, not number, the same people? Um, sort of cycle in and cycle out, or is it evolving new individuals? Yes. <laughs> Both. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely there are f- folks that I, I've seen that I've known for, I've been doing this for six years and um, have known them to be homeless and get housing and and then to, um, you know, lose lose their shelter as well um but we also do see you know a lot of new folks one thing that um well more pandemic related um but as we're seeing a lot of families right now um we get a lot of phone calls we run an outreach line and we get a lot of phone calls from families looking for resources unfortunately we don't at a shelter um, and there's um, a long waiting list for family shelter. And so how can we connect some things, you know, maybe a short respite stay, but we can't do anything um, long-term, but, you know, I mean, just on Saturday, last Saturday, I, I met uh, a dad and um, kids were all at the library and everything and came and helped with gas, a bag of groceries, you know, just trying to get, you know, and they're hanging out at the library during the day, and then they were sleeping in their van. Um, and that's a pretty common thing that we're starting to really see in and we're lucky to work with um, some partners like um, we work with Kelly Legrand from GMRC, who helps us kind of navigate um, some family things. And we've built a great relationship with the Salvation Army. 
um, just to kind of check in on families and see if we can help communicate needs and see where they are on their waiting list. But the fact is, is that there are a lot of families in Madison who don't have shelter. Yes. Or doubled up. And so that's, you know, at the beginning, you you shared that 700 people-ish, you know, that was January's point in time. And that doesn't count people who are self-funding at hotels or who are doubled up, you know, sleeping in somebody's basement or right. something. And, and, and those folks, you know, um, are still struggling as far as, and so that those are some phone calls that we get in terms of, you know, hey, can you help with food? Can you help with gas? You know, my, my car's not working. Um, and we've recently made a, a connection with a partner, um, Michael John from Angel Cars, who we're trying to work um, with trying to help people who are low income, you know, to be able to keep their cars running, especially yeah. if they're living for, 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 for friends, especially if they're living in their car, because that's an immediate need. Well, and I think people forget that homeless individuals and homeless families um, or individuals that are facing homelessness um, are also housing unstable. And that's part of the definition of homeless. If you can't guarantee that where you're sleeping right now or will be where you get to sleep tomorrow or that you know where you're sleeping tonight, right, relying on a car that maybe you don't really know the stability of it, relying on a friend or a family member that may not be able to continue to house you tomorrow night, that is housing unstable and that is part of the definition of homelessness. Do you get do you get pushback? And and I feel like there's been conversations with the government of who technically is homeless, who technically is deserving of homeless services and all the sort of bureaucracy that sometimes gets in the way of someone that needs assistance actually getting the assistance. That's definitely the most frustrating part of our job. I mean, uh, dealing with bureaucracy, um, you know, in one sense, you're grateful for what you can get, but in the sec- on the other hand, you look at what you got and it's like, oh man, we could do a lot better. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, it, th- there's always a challenge. There's, I mean, funding is always going to be a challenge, um, and and just the whole process. It, it feels like, and Beth can, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it just feels like there's an awful lot of red tape and you know hoops and you know to to get through to to be able to just have somebody live their life. Um, so. You know, we don't, at least, I. you know, we try not to dwell on it too much because we're trying to focus on what we do well and, and, and get that relationship. But boy, it, it can get really, like I said at the beginning, it can get so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, so Beth, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. You know, I think I do. Um, so I think one thing is that we, we are 100% volunteers. And so, you know, we, we really only can do what we can do and so it's frustrating when we hit those and then a lot of times that's when um you know we contact our partners who um, are paid social workers and such uh just to make sure that those people are getting connected that way you know um and so sometimes i i find that it's really important to just focus on our mission and build those relationships yeah more so just because like for my own (laughs) my own mental health and you know um just you know kind of thinking that way um you know jasper said it well um you know he he's got a great perspective again jasper on our board okay he um says you know when you talk about what you can't do we can't do this we can't do this yeah but i did do this and i i you know and, and frankly you know as a volunteer organization anything we can do is a positive we could, you know, we could be fully funded and all of us have full-time jobs and we wouldn't be able to address the problem. So we just try to take these little victories and build on that. Piece by piece, piece by yeah. piece. Go ahead, Beth. Could I um, share a program that we've been trying to develop? And this is a frustration and, yes. you know, I, I guess so. Um, Tammy, the the first year actually, Tammy Fleming, who's our founder, um, proposed an idea to the county to um, call Keys to Dignity, which is a locker program. And um, I think in principle, it's genius when the idea is to put banks of, let's say, five to 10 lockers in different locations around the city um, to urban camouflage them so that they're not, you know, like, here's a somebody homeless locker. Right. Um, and um, to give people, you know, the dignity to be able, the outside, to be able to access 
um, a safe place to keep their things because stuff is a major issue when you're homeless and having to drag it all is in itself stigmatizing, right? It's hard to go to appointments and to, and to get a job when you're carrying all of your, your things. And so um, we've been working on that program since. And um, three years ago, we built our first bank of five. Um, and thanks to a wonderful um, church that offered us a spot. And um, even when uh, the, the, when uh, mayor, the mayor, oh gosh, Satya, I'm losing your last Satya name. Satya Rose Conway, the <laughs> Madison's mayor. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. When she became mayor, uh, actually, uh, she endorsed the program and was like, let's put some city resources there. We still don't have any lockers. We have some ideas. Um, we've worked um, through a lot of red tape. Uh, we were supposed to have some in parking garages around Madison, and they're still not there. Mm. You know, we've had a business getting getting um, you know things approved through the city to um, match certain neighborhoods and things like that. And in the meantime, you know, we've got lockers, and people still have their stuff, and they don't have a safe place to keep their stuff. Um, you know, and so I guess that's that's where it's like here we're trying to meet a very basic need, which. Um, you know, I think we all would like to know that our the things, our most precious belongings are someplace where we know and it can be locked. Um, and, you know, it's and, not, it's, we're still waiting. Right. And the yeah. stigma, the stigma have, of applying for a job, the idea of applying for a job while you have one of these giant backpacks or all of your belongings with you. Right. It's just before you say a single thing, you're already perceived as something. You're already uh, perceived as someone that... Uh, is have have having housing challenges and then all the the stereotypes that come with that uh, before you ever interview for anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I mean, we're still trying. Um, Brad, who uh, Jeff mentioned before, is our is our keys to dignity project manager, and has some like fires burning. But it's like let's get it done. You know, let's let's give these people. A, you know, five lockers on the side of a building doesn't really take up a lot, but finding um, the businesses that are willing to let those five individuals come onto their property. Um, and that's again, that stigma, you know, and that judgment, you know, that is placed on people who are experiencing homelessness. I want to talk about the relationship with businesses. But before we get to that, I want to remind everyone you are listening to A Public Affair and we are talking right now with Beth Malio and Jeff Turk. They are the uh, vice president and president, respectively, of Friends of the State Street family. If you want to join the conversation, uh, we would love to have you. Give us a call at area code 608 256 2001, extension 9. Uh, DeMorian and uh, Teresa are in the studio. They are ready for your calls. Rochelle's in there as well. Area code 608 256 2001, extension 9. Perhaps you've experienced homelessness or housing instability or have um, an experience interacting with uh, individuals that you want to share with us. We would love to hear you. Uh, please join the conversation. Uh, okay. Beth and Jeff, I wanted to ask you about the relationships with business, particularly Jeff, because you came, you started at this as a business owner on State Street. What has been the response from businesses on State Street, on the on the Capitol Square, and beyond um, to uh, to the work that you're doing and the presence of homeless individuals? I think generally speaking, it's been positive. I mean, we've had a lot of um, support. Uh, certainly, you know, we have to give a shout out to Metcalfs for, again, helping with that um, transportation drive we had last year. Um, and, you know, Ian's has just always been awesome. I mean, I, you know, their pizza's awesome, but they're just, they donate. I, I work with other nonprofits and they donate so much to, to everyone, but we've always had great luck with them. A lot of the coffee shops uh, in and around State Street. Um, just recently spoke with some uh, big box type uh, folks that are interested in helping us out. So there's a, um, you know, certainly there's always going to be an element of, you know, it, it, it's a blight, you know, it's, yes. you know, we don't want this guy sitting sleeping next to Those our Those are the stories I mean, that you hear when you read the paper or people are complaining about you know, State Street in downtown. 
What I try to do is I try to empathize to a degree because I was there. I mean, I get it. But um, what I try, you know, what we try to do is we try to kind of change the mindset a little bit like, you know, okay, well, what can we do? I mean, this is a, this problem. This, this problem is not going to go away. I mean, unless we address it, unless we help. So what can we do? And I think we've had luck with that in working with uh, various businesses around uh, in and around State Street. Again, we're we're kind of branching out now. So our focus on we had we we were just, I think, gaining traction right before the pandemic. We had a lot of great participation with a lot of the businesses on State Street. And frankly, we were looking for an opportunity to support them while they supported our friends. And Mm -hmm. we were building that model. Um, but because of the pandemic, things got scattered a little bit, but we're still looking at that. I mean, again, when Beth was talking about, you know, these $5 gift cards where a person can get a meal and sit down for a while, you know, we want to support a McDonald's or Taco Bell or whoever we can get a gift card for, um, while we're offering our friends some respite. Um, so I, I, you know, it's, it's, you're always going to have folks that need, um, some help coming to view things the way I did. Um, and I'm willing to take that challenge. That's really what I view, you know, that's what I hope I can do in this capacity is to help people get to that point where we're not viewing these folks as, uh, you know, un- inhuman. I mean, I want to humanize these people. This is a person that's suffering. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's hard to be homeless. It's not easy. I it's not imagine. like, just go get a job. I asked, mm-hmm. I talked to a homeless person not too long ago. And I said, you know, well, how do you respond to people that say, just go get a job? And she was like, yeah, you know, I'd love to do that. But, you know, being homeless, I don't have access to a shower. And, you know, when I go get a, a low level job at a Burger King or something, I need to be able to shower and hygiene's a big factor. And I, I don't have access to that. So it's just it's things like that that you don't consider. You don't think about well, necessarily when you're just spitting out stuff like that. And, and all the obstacles and reasons that uh, factored into an individual becoming homeless at that moment, getting a low level job is not going to solve that. It may be a a step in the right direction, but that is not going to get you a security deposit for your new housing. That's not going to get you access to transportation, all the things that you need. It's not right. It's sort of scary to think of people having such a, you know, reactionary response, but to hear, you know, Beth made reference to our current mayor, a previous mayor, um, uh, Mayor Soglin had had publicly made statements of "I will buy anyone a one way ticket wherever you want to go," just lit- literally shipping them out, uh, not solving any problems, not addressing any issues. Yes, so it's refreshing to hear your answer, Jeff, and maybe you're trying to put a positive spin on it, which I think is important to do legitimately. But refreshing to hear your answer of there, it sounds like more good than bad of relationships and conversations because from the top down, prior mayor leadership was not that perspective. Uh, you know, my approach is always to go to if if we're looking to partner with somebody, I try to again build a narrative where where they're able to empathize. So I'm not going to go browbeat somebody and say, you should be helping the homeless. I'm just going to say, hey, look, you know, what would you do if there were puppies sitting out there? Beth likes this. This is my favorite analogy. I, I, think, about, <laughs> I think about we had, like Randall Park. We talked about Randall Park last year. And at one point there was a horrible storm that was coming towards Madison. And all I could think about was, geez, you know, what if a tornado hit and we'd wipe out a hundred people there? I guarantee, and, and you know, what if what if there were a hundred puppies out there instead of people? What would what would the public? How would they respond to that? Everyone's heart would be breaking. Oh my God! They'd be out there. Oh, they they'd risk their life to go help those those little sweet animals. Um, and and you know maybe it's not a great analogy because I don't want to compare homeless people to animals, but I think it's a it's a it's a relevant way to look at it because I think people just look at it again as they're dehumanized. They're not right. people. They're not. There's no soul there. Well, as soon as you add any level of complexity, right, they'll say, oh, well, I'm empathetic to the puppy because the puppy is small and and helpless and they didn't do anything wrong to cause their situation. How could a puppy have caused their situation? And so they want to assign blame and not acknowledge the complexity of, you know, and we're sitting here talking on this, uh, our show about, you know, all the challenges that people face in life. But let's also acknowledge that the systems that we have set up in America are not there to support anyone that isn't already 
in access. If you don't have access, we do not have a country that will help you get it and help you find stability. So some of this is baked, you know, the complexities where we want to put blame and shame. Some of it is actually sort of baked into America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I mean, I think that, you know, it's I always try to simplify things. I mean, I, I yes, it's complex. You're dealing with you're dealing with people, so it's going to be complex. But yet, sometimes I, I think that there, there are easier solutions than, you know, a lot of times we'll put a Band-Aid on it. And it's, you know, sometimes that can make things worse. You know, when you're trying to just, I, I mean, unfortunately, with the previous mayor saying something like that, and I forgot about that. You know, <laughs> that's a, that's Sorry an attitude to bring that, that back to you. Yes. Well, I mean, and that's an attitude that, you know, frankly, we we don't need to fight that. I mean, come on. I, we're trying to just make a connection here, a human connection, help a person that's, I mean, I, I always try to tell people, reach into yourself, think about your lowest point in life. And then maybe, I don't know, quadruple it, right. make okay. it 10 times as bad. And that's what these people are probably going through, you know? Um, you know, when we talk about business connections and yes. actually there's just, um, well, business and other community connections. So one of the re- reasons that um, we first connected with um, WRT was because you reached out to us because you're about to open up your lobby, right? And yes. I think that that didn't happen. And um, and so Adrian, yes. Yes, yes. Okay. You know, um, along with Brad and um, just about ways that we could um, help if there are going to be people in the lobby and that, that pre-pandemic that sometimes people might find their way into your lobby who were looking for us for shelter. Yes. And so, you know, we sat and we talked about um, ways that friends might be able to support uh your volunteers in terms of having some resources. And, um, you know, we delivered a box of supplies that you could keep in your, your lobby, you know, they had some blankets and some snap packs and things like that. Um, we do that with the public library, like uh, just a couple of months ago, Hawthorne library contact us. And it used to be the downtown library, you know, where a lot of people con- congregated. Well, now yes. with the shelters moving and stuff, like there's a different library. And so how can we, how can that, that, you know, people are seeking, well, one air conditioning, you know, at this time of year or shelter from the thing. And so um, when the librarian contacted us again, like we can't always be there. We're all volunteers. So how can we make sure that, you have the things that you might, you know, somebody might need in that moment. And, you know, like, you know, even if it's just a granola bar, there's a reason that there's a word, you know, hangry and like, you want to calm things down. Hey, let me give you a bottle of water and a granola bar and let's, let's do some problem solving. Um, And so I guess they're definitely on state street when we were there. You know, one of the things I remember Tammy talking about when she was training me was like make nice with the businesses and so you know if you notice that there's a couple people who um are using you know there's a couple copy coffee shops especially who seem to be hanging out there walk in you know introduce yourself give us get give our outreach card and so i guess i would encourage if there is a business that's sort of struggling with a group of people who maybe are hanging there is to reach out to us and maybe it's a matter of us connecting a couple resources you know there's a a man who checks in once a week at a subway on the west side and i can leave things for him with the subway staff because they look out for him um so you know a nice community story as a community to make sure that all members are being taken care of and I want to give a shout out and, and, and get the identification correct here on the wart side. Volunteer coordinator, uh, coordinator Adrian Ranny was the person that you spoke with. So, yeah, uh, kudos to Adrian and to all the wart staff of trying to respond affirmatively to this of, hey, we have a challenge and we think we can resolve it. And that's part of the great work that you do is not just working with uh individuals that are experiencing homelessness, but businesses that are interacting with individuals experiencing homelessness, that there's a multi, multi-prong approach and response to this. Really appreciate that. And I wanted to ask about the response from the police. I feel like from the pandemic, there was a desire 
to stop ticketing, stop arresting uh, individuals, keep people out of the Dane County Jail for for COVID and health safety reasons, and to really minimize that. And I wanted to see if if that if you felt that was actually true or just anecdotes that I had heard, and has that. Have have we taken the lessons learned from that and continued now that the jail is open and available? That doesn't mean we have to use it. You know, I'll let Beth speak to this, but I did. I just want to start. You know, I number one, the police have been fantastic. When we were working with them, especially in and around State Street, they'd actually take uh, supplies, and mm. we'd provide the the patrolling officers with supplies. And I also do want to mention the fire departments. And Beth, you can talk about that with Mr. Bob's and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say that you are accurate. Actually, actually, I would say that we've had our old route when we were always wagons downtown. We went through three different police zones. So we were Capitol, State, and the University Police. Mm-hmm. And um, we had just invited, I remember having a training and inviting in you know, some officers and like, what do we need to know? How can we help you? How can we deescalate certain situations so that we don't have, like, our goal is not to send anybody to jail, you know? Um, and I've had some really good, positive, I mean, I, I could tell some good stories, but <laughs> I think that um, definitely, uh, you know, Madison has a mental health officer. They're developing that CARES team um, and they have neighborhood officers. And so, we've had really good connections with them and, you know, conversations to be able to, you know, kind of problem solve things, um, you know, it, definitely downtown. Um, I think that the officers have shifted, but um, Officer Craig and Officer Ken, um, if you're out there, thank you <laughs> for all your collaboration. Um, and even with uh, being at, at uh, you know, Rindle kind of exploded last year in terms of a lot of press, but really my interactions, like while we were setting up a humanity station or bringing in, um, we collaborated with a Milwaukee organization um, called Mr. Bob's Under the Bridge, and he has a shower truck and he was bringing him the showers up um, wow. every other week. I didn't know that. And, and you know, Madison, the, the, you know, I contacted the local uh, fire station and they filled it up so we wouldn't have to drive the water. Um, up and so I, I guess I've really seen that that Madison is work. I think that they recognize that you know, like criminalizing and putting people on the defense is definitely not going to be a solution to the problem. Um, you know, and to humanize and to find ways. I mean, when just last summer there was a interaction on State Street, um, and we were trying to deescalate it, and uh, the neighborhood officer pulled up, and I was like, "I'm so glad it's you." And actually, he just gave them a ride to the beacon. Um, it wasn't, <laughs> wow. you know, he wasn't he wasn't trying to. There was no criminal activity, but definitely somebody was in a poor mental health state, and he was like, "Hey, come on, I'll just give you a ride," you know. So I think that there's a lot of effort on that to to treat people as individuals and and with some humanity. And Beth, you mentioned a little bit about mental health challenges while, while in, in that answer. Is that something that you see commonly? I, I feel like that's a perception that people have, that homeless individuals have mental health challenges. And I, I first of all, I think in general, um, Americans and perhaps everyone have mental health challenges that are not being acknowledged and um, treated. And so the numbers I've seen have sort of said that the is the homeless population even more mental health challenges? Is that's where sometimes people wind up because of systems we have that don't acknowledge and and treat with humanity the challenges we people have? Yeah, I would say yes. You know, I mean, definitely folks are struggling with um, mental health. And um, I think we know pandemic has pushed a whole lot of Americans, right? Yes. Um, to um, have heightened anxiety and depression and such. And um, then there's sort of that like exacerbating or triggering effects of homelessness. I mean, and so just being homeless is traumatic. And so anybody who is pre- predisposed to anxiety or depression is gonna feel those emotions even more um, and may have um, not have access to the appropriate healthcare or mental health care. And so, you know, self-medication you know, is something that a lot of people, you know, homeless and not, um, do. Uh, 
you know, in terms of dealing with with those crises. And so I think that that's, you know, I th removing the stigma of mental health <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. would be something to help all Americans, but especially for people experiencing homelessness. What so in our final minutes here, uh, Beth and Jeff, what, what are things that our listeners can do? How can they support the work that you do at Friends. And I really liked the uh, conversation we had at the beginning about, you know, acknowledging human beings when you, when you see them as, as you would acknowledge any other human being. But w what are sort of your, the final words you want to leave with people that are listening? I, I mean, I'll start because Beth can talk about, you know, some of the nuts and bolts about what we, what we need. But I, I think that, you know, that would be my first ask is for people that are, um, if anybody's listening and they they view homelessness as um, something other than a tragedy, like uh, maybe it's laziness or you know somebody that's just doesn't want to try or something like that, I want you to dig deep and and look at that person and and again reflect on how you know some of the low points in your life and just understand that um, how, you know understand that it can go south pretty quick and. Um, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of a help to to get back up into the the mainstream here. Um, so don't don't you know? I guess it's easy for me to say don't judge, but that's what I'm going to say. Don't judge. Don't judge um, folks that are sleeping on the street. I mean, they they live a tough life. Uh, it's it, again. I'm going to say it again. It's very difficult to be homeless. I I mean, you know, come out and do outreach with us <laughs> and see what it looks like. Yeah. And with that, Beth, I'll let you finish it up yeah well um definitely right that that I, a smile a hug goes a long way but um if people are interested in getting involved we have more volunteer opportunities right now that are a little bit more behind the scenes than straight outreach mostly because we're not just pulling wagons anymore um, but we have an Amazon wish list and those are things that our team distributes directly to people you know, pretty much as we um, receive them. Uh, on Saturdays, we have a meal train sign up and have kind of tried to break it up a little bit so that it's not such a financial burden, but we prepare a hot brunch and then we also bring out sack lunches to as we like move around the city. So um, would love more help with that um, as well. Uh, you know, socks, <laughs> it's an easy thing. Um, but, you know, there's socks and um, underwear and T-shirts, things like that, that are real basic needs are things that we definitely need. Um, you know, when you're homeless and you don't have access to laundry, sometimes those things become disposable. And it's not that there are no laundry services or no shower, but it, there's only two places really. Very that limited, yes. And whether or not they're operating, you know, on any given day. So, um, you know, being able to pass on a dry t-shirt to someone on a really hot day is just, you know, and those things are on our wish list. Well, so. it's been wonderful talking with you, Jeff Turk, uh, Beth Melio. Um, thank you both for all yeah. the work that you do and for joining us today. Uh, president and vice president of the friends of state street family. Thank you both thank you so much. much. Thank, you. thank you. And a huge thank you to, um, DeMorian and Teresa for engineering. Thank you, Rochelle, for producing. Uh, we will see everyone again next week. I want to remind you, you are listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Have a great day, everybody. No precision. High crime treason, we broadcast in sedition. Like the Wall Street morning afternoon edition. Commandeering airwaves from unknown positions. Live and direct, becoming never pre recorded. With information that would never be re reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and supported. Live and direct, becoming never pre recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream.